running down dogma with his karma. This is the Drew Marshall Show. Let me tell you, if this song was playing at the start of any battle, I'd be in. I would be in, man. I'd be the first guy charging down the field. Would you be singing harmonies with it, too? I would, too. Oh, okay. What is wrong with me? I just get so violent with Celtic music. I just want to fight and battle and and work out. And and wear a skirt. Oh, that smells good. The skirt? <laughs> no, uh, no stogues for you, oh. though, eh? <laughs> Who was that? Joel Osteen. Uh, Joel, no, d- not Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. <laughs> not Joel Osteen. Joel Oje. Oje. Oh, close. Come yeah, on. Oh, yeah, exactly the same. Joel Oje. They both have similar teeth. Joel Oje, singer extraordinaire and uh, businessman uh, extraordinaire. Oh, yeah. Invented uh, he and his team Mousetrap for uh, Facebook. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's still going on. Anyway, they mil- made millions off of cyber cheese, <laughs> selling fake cheese. You told me there was one person who had... I don't know over how long, but one person had spent $50,000. What? On buying. Like, one person spent $50,000 yeah, on over cyber a, cheese? Yeah, over a span of time of different things that you can get to. That's a problem. That's that's a lot of cheese. That would give you gas. Cheese. <laughs> I don't even know Jeebus. Cheese and rice. All right. Here we go, folks. You are listening to the Drew Marshall Show. It's our St. Patrick's Day special. It's always a little bit off-center. A plum is a... Is a bubble off the thing is the line is the we're a little weird today is okay what I'm trying to say. yes nice uh we just did a segment on the bard of tyrone which is wf marshall who's a poet a preacher and a relative of mine a number of years ago my dad the legendary grant marshall from our show's most popular segment meanwhile back in the farm traveled with his sister my aunt to oma in county tyrone northern ireland and they were locating the family homestead along their travels they found a book of poems written by one of my uh, distant relatives, W.F. Marshall, the Bard of Tyrone, and uh, we shared a fair bit of nonsense from him. Nice. Peter Rollins is a writer, a philosopher, a storyteller, and an Irish troublemaker, flat out. He has gained an international reputation <laughs> for so many things, but for uh, overturning traditional notions of religion and forming churches that preach the good news that we can't be satisfied. We can't be satisfied. That life is difficult. See, trust an Irishman to, to come out with that nonsense. Hey? <laughs> I wonder what he would think about the happy clappies, right? The name it and claim it's. I think he'd smack them. Uh, and that we don't know the secret. Ooh. That's a good book, too. Stop it. Okay. Challenging the idea that faith concerns questions relating to belief. Peter's incendiary <laughs> religious and irreligious reading of Christianity attacks the distinction between the sacred and the secular. It blurs the lines, thank you, Mr. Thick, between ah. theism and atheism, and it sets aside questions regarding life after death to explore the possibility of life before death. Ooh. Did you see what I did there? Nice. Peter gained his higher education uh, from the Queen's University there, don't you know? In Belfast, where he earned degrees with distinction in scholastic philosophy 
uh, political theory and social criticism, uh, post-structural thought. What is did I want to know if he actually went to the classes. Peter, did you actually go to your classes on these things? I, I did. I spent seven years at university, my friend. Well, for, that's because that's it's... a four-year course? That, that's because it's free over there, right? <laughs> is it not free? It pretty much, yeah. I, by the time I started, you had to pay a little bit. But now I live in America. My Some of my friends like owe $100,000 for their education. Aye. I think I got out clean. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He's the author of numerous books, including Insurrection, The Idolatry of God, and The Divine Magician. Uh, he was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland, currently lives in L.A. Are you really living in L.A. now, you hobnobber? Yeah, although I'm, I am in Belfast as I speak to you, but yeah, I spend most of my time in L.A. Oh, and we have to talk about that, actually, because L.A. is the most religious place in the world. That's why I'm there. Everyone's promising satisfaction. On every corner, there's a prophet and a priest saying, take the right drugs, have enough money, get enough fame, look the right way, and you will be whole and complete. And that's pretty much like a Baptist sermon, but uh, dressed up like a TED talk. (laughs) 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 Buddy, that was great. Do you think it's true that you can tell... You can tell what kind of God someone believes in by what kind of dog they have? Well, I think you're you're conflating two things. Oh, I've come said, on now. Which is, come on. <laughs> well, I say you can tell a person's ideal personality by the dog they have. Right. So you look at the dog and that tells you what they like to think of themselves, if it's a big butch dog, if it's a little cute dog. Um, and in the same way, you can tell what a person's ideal is by looking at the God they worship. Again, you know, is it a strong, unforgiving God? Is it a, a hippie God? So our gods and our dogs tell us more about ourselves than it, than they do about reality. All right, listen. We uh, all know that. Now, all know would that. you just be quiet over there? Peter Rollins, um, you're actually in Belfast. Are you staying at the most bombed hotel in Belfast? No, but I'm staying at a hotel called Bullet, which is yeah. quite ironic for living in Belfast. But it's actually, it's not to do with bullets. It's to do with, uh, it's based on Steve McQueen's movie yeah. of that name. Oh, so it's a yes. very cool hotel, but it's brand new. So it hasn't been bombed once. And is it, <laughs> does everybody, everybody get a Mustang yet. to drive around? Everyone gets a Mustang. Um, <laughs> here's the website, PeterRollins.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N-S, PeterRollins.com. Prepare. Hey, listen, last, last time I talked to you, I was .net, so now I'm .com. Joel Le- Osteen, eat your heart. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, PeterRollins.com. He did it, folks. He's in the big leagues now. I mean, I did it. I did it. <laughs> How much did you have to pay for that, or did you just hover over it until it expired? You know what happened, to be honest? I said on a podcast once that um, I... I I used to have the .com and I lost it and I can't afford to buy it and somebody bought it for me. Someone listened to the podcast and emailed me and said, listen, I bought you a .com. Now, it didn't cost them that much, to be honest, but it was very generous, very, very generous. So um, that's why I got a .com. But it's not generous for the kind of people you hang out with there, Mr. Mr., uh, Connecticut, Mr. L.A., uh, Mr. Connected, Mr. Hey, let's interview. Let's let's go on Rob Bell's podcast, the Bellcast or whatever the Robcast. Well, I just call him the Big R. I the, just you know the Big R. Big R. <laughs> what kind uh, of dog does he have? Yeah, what dog does Bell have? Oh, you know that's an interesting thing. He has quite a butch dog that's very nervous. So I don't know what that says about <laughs> that's him. That's funny. <laughs> he does love dogs that that are suffering trauma and that he can help. 
like genuinely that's the, every time he's he's very drawn to dogs that if you go into your, uh, an adoption agency it's the dog that's hiding under the sofa is the dog that rob loves right well that's why i invited tim to work on the show yes. same kind of thing yes and i'd be on the carpet <laughs> Tim, Tim does pee on the carpet. Um, <laughs> is it true that Rob Bell said something controversial the other day? I mean, uh, like a, a week or a month or a few months ago, whatever. Um, did he say something like, uh, the Bible is not really... Um, geez, now I'm, I'm going to mistranslate what I heard in the rumor mill. I heard that he said something like, the Bible is. Did you, did you just invite me on to talk about Rob L? Did I you just did. invite me on because you can't get Rob L, so you, you got one of his mates who's not very famous. I'll <laughs> oh, stop it. Rob was on last year. We'll get him on again. Um, <laughs> because I made fun of his wife's Twitter account. She's got a bunch of weird nicknames. Anyway, uh, stay focused, will you, Rollins? Who's more ADD, you okay. or I? Jeez. <laughs> anyway, has he said something like you can't really trust the scriptures because it was written so long ago and it's not really the kind of thing for today, this day and age? Has he gotten has he gotten there yet? Interestingly, I interviewed him about the Bible yesterday for a little private Patreon thing I do, and um, I got to talk to him in depth about his views on the Bible. So if you want, I can talk about that. Um, I mean, his basic thing is not is more that. Um, there's two ways to approach great art and great music. Uh, one is like a scientist. You stand back from it. You're disinterested in it. You treat it like a, an object of study. Uh, but the second way of studying something is like a mystery. It's that you're part of it. You're caught up in it. Like music, it's not that you stand back from it. You feel it from the inside. And his new book on the Bible is very much written from the latter perspective. The idea that, you know, he's trying to avoid talking about, you know, inerrancy and, you know, is the Bible a metaphor or is it reality or whatever? And he's trying to say, you know, I'm caught up in the narrative of this text. Let's let's get caught up in the chaos and the craziness of it hmm. and see what it does to us. So I think that's his perspective. That sounds like... Um a critique of the shack as well, you know. Mm -hmm. Let's get caught up in the narrative of the whole thing as opposed to a doctrinal um, doofusness. The spirit yeah, of I the mean, letter for, as opposed to the law? The spirit of the letter as opposed to the law, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I think I think the best way to approach a text like the Bible is the same way that an analyst uh, approaches a dream. If you have a dream with your psychoanalyst, you oh, I, there's spiders under the bed, and then this big red bus came, and I tried to get it but couldn't jump on in time. I had that same dream. Yeah, there you go. Well, that anal I don't want to know your dreams, Drew. <laughs> um, but the analyst doesn't ask, oh, did you see some spiders or was there a red bus that you saw yesterday? They take it absolutely seriously, but, the, in, in, but they say that it, it's something that speaks of your deepest self. That the reason why you had that dream is it's a symbolic representation of something within you. And so in the same way, a theologian often approaches the text and they don't ask whether it literally happened or whether it didn't. They ask, what does it mean? What does this tell about the person who's caught up in it? What, how do we decipher its meaning? So it kind of gets beyond the liberal and the conservative conversation. Good. That's exactly mm. where we need to be. So, okay, I'm pretty sure I've asked you this on the show before when you when you came on the show. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, do we want to go into that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I've asked you this, but I don't remember the answer. So it was either really boring or I didn't get it. I'm going to go with the latter yeah. because I've heard you talk many times, and I don't get most of the, what you say. So, 
Um, is God real, or is God just a projection of ourselves? Wow. I mean, that's a huge question, because the word God, I, I think there's a number of ways you can understand that, that word. Um, and in one basic sense, people use the word God to describe that thing that will make you whole and complete, that thing that will satisfy you completely. And in that sense, there are thousands of gods in the world. Everywhere you turn around, everyone who promises that a Ferrari will fulfill you or money or fame, these are secular gods. Um, and those gods, I think, are projections of our desires and our fears and our anxieties. But I do think there's another notion of God uh, that you see within the biblical tradition. And that is, uh, my friend and philosopher John Caputo says, that God is not a projection, that God is a projectile. Hmm. And what he means by that is that the God that you see, the name God in the, in the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures often overturns all of our ideals and desires and everything we think. Every, every time we say who's in and who's out, or who's pure and who's impure, who's right and who's wrong, uh, the narrative breaks that open. And like parables do that. Parables are always problematizing what we think of the world. Um, so I think that's a way of understanding God. But there's there's a number of ways. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing a thing at the moment called Atheism for Lent, where we're exploring how atheism is an inherent part of the Christian tradition. And it's an inherent part of theism and talk about God. Uh, so part of that is about saying that the early mystics, were atheists, because every time they spoke of God, they realized that what they spoke of God was part of who they were. It was part of where they grew up, what books they'd read, what people had influenced them. And so they always said, well, my God is not like the God I imagine. And that's atheism. So for every theism, every time they said God is love, they then said, oh, but not the way I understand love. Because as a 21st century Irish guy, that's different from a 4th century French peasant. You know, so atheism and theism are caught up together so that we avoid creating projections of ourselves. You see what I'm saying? Like, I have to ask the question again because I don't even think he answered it. Well, here's the problem. He's, he's got this, <laughs> this funny accent, so we have to make sure we understand the words. And oh, then no. we have to put the words together. because no, the accent makes people lean in and listen. Uh, because well, let me just tell you, I have an assistant. I'm her, from Little Rock, Arkansas. I just put this up. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. I have an assistant whose name is Michelle, and Michelle mm -hmm. is your number one creepy fan. Okay, she is. She is. She wants to know if you have a woman uh, in your in your world. Every, all of the <laughs> girls out there want to know if Peter Rollins, the cute Irish boy with the floppy hair, who's now you're, you've trimmed the hair, you've you've combed it back now. More respectable yes, L.A. I, thing. I tried to neat myself up. Yeah. I saw myself on videos, and I terrified myself. Yeah. I thought, oh, my goodness, no one's ever going to want to invite me back no, to the no, house. No, no. So I tried to clean myself yeah. up. Are you dating? Do you have a – Do you have a? let's talk personally. Let's get to below the surface here with Peter Rollins. Peter, do you oh, wow. do you have a love in your life? I don't think I've ever been asked that. On I know. Video, that's why we're going there right now. I went for many years in my 30s. I was single. Um, I, you know, a bit. Of, I, I'm Irish, so I've had a bit of heartbreak in my life. Yeah. But yes, I'm currently dating a girl, uh, English girl, and um, we have been dating for about a year. Wow. And that's been fun. That's been because I say most of my 30s was uh, I was single and on the road, mm -hmm. so it's quite a nice change. And is she in England or is she in Ireland or is she in LA? 
she's in Ireland and LA, so she comes out a lot whenever I'm in LA, and then um, we is, hang out as well in Ireland. Is she famous like you? Uh, not yet, no. no, no. So okay. I think she will. I, I think she is an incredibly brilliant and talented uh, writer, and um, and I think she's and uh, script writer. So I, I've got a feeling in the next few years she will, Ooh. you know, make a name for herself. Right. Well, well I, I can give her Kirk Cameron's number. Maybe they could do a movie together. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> okay. You know I'm doing what. Oh, I know. I heard about this. Hold on. No, actually, I'll let you explain your own movie because I'm going to slaughter it. Go for it. Oh, yeah. So it's it's at the moment, we're just going to make a short and then we're going to kind of develop a feature film. But it's called Making Love. Um, and the reason why it's called Making Love is, you know, the phrase used to not be to do with sex at all. It was to do with the art of creating love. And so if you're in Irish, imagine you're in Irish school and you're you're at a dance and the girls are at one side of the room and the boys are at the other. Yep. And then the priests are there to make sure you don't get too close to the, <laughs> the guy or the girl. And they've got a ruler to make sure you stay exactly 12 inches apart. Right. Um, the, the people think that the role of the priest is to keep the two people apart. But actually, the role of the priest is to get the two people to fantasize about what they could do if only the priest wasn't there to stop them. So literally, the priest creates love. They make love. I'm going um, I'm I'm to go out on a limb here, Peter Rollins, and hey. say that's not what the priests were thinking. No, that's not what they're thinking, but that's what they're doing. You know, these purity rings in America, you know, you wear these purity rings and like that's the best way to get sex. You know, it's like the, the, in, in, a, in a society where there's pr- promiscuity and, and sex and sexuality is, is in your face. The best gift the fundamentalist church can give is prohibition. And it's a beautiful gift. You know, don't dance, don't do drugs, don't have sex, because it generates the desire for it. Um, and therefore, you overvalue it. And therefore, you kind of get pleasure out of it. So my film is, is about two people. He had a passionate affair that was cut short because the woman's husband said, if you ever see my wife again, you're dead. But as fate would have it, they get to spend one hour in this beautiful hotel. And he has one hour to decide whether he stays the night and dies the next day, or whether he leaves and never sees her again. Dun, dun, and it's all, about, yeah, it's all about the prohibition and how the prohibition, the fact that he can't be with her, creates this passionate, what, what Freud called death drive, this drive to be with her that would, would make him even consider losing his life just to be with her for one night. And this this wow. is this is not a movie. It's a it starts with F. What did you call it again? Uh, the, the the title? No, no, it's not a movie. It's called a. F, a f, oh. <laughs> what's the word? <laughs> it's called a film. A film. Oh, a film. <laughs> like you find on a pond. Yes, or on the top of your old beer. Yes. Oh, there's a fi- <laughs> there's a film on top of my beer. Um, you are an interesting uh, fellow, but uh, Peter Rollins. Um, provocateur that you are i still don't know if you're actually a christian i still don't know if you are a follower of jesus christ i don't know if you've been washed in the blood if you've been sanctified and justified and petrified i don't know peter i want to know what you believe because you spend your life tearing up tearing away things that other people believe tearing it down and rebuilding it and Screwing Can with I people's tell you heads. What I believe? Tell me Can what I you, tell believe? you what I believe. Okay, listen, I'm going to tell you. Are you in a quiet room? All right, ready? 
Go. Are you ready? Yeah, go. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I'm going to be so clear, you'll understand it, right? Okay. Should we film this? I... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shh. Okay, go. I, I believe we don't know what we believe. I believe that we hide our beliefs from us. Okay, so nobody believes that a duvet cover can make you invisible to an intruder or protect you from a knife attack. Yes, it Until can. Here. Yes, until you hear a knocking on the door late at night and then you act as if you do. Very few people believe in ghosts until they hear something tapping under their bed and then they're terrified. Um, Nobody believes that, uh, you know, nobody of the opposite sex likes them, except some people do. They just don't know they believe it. My thing is that we are not transparent to ourselves. I know people who don't believe in God. They say they don't, but they're terrified of going to hell. And I know people who believe in God but actually don't pay any attention. And the reason why I'm saying this is because the idea is our consciousness is not where our beliefs are. Our beliefs are embodied in our unconscious. And part of my work is not telling people what I believe or listening to what people believe. I'm saying I want to help people come to know what they believe. That's my challenge. My challenge is to, for people to confront their beliefs in all of their weirdness and their beauty. That's why people go to psychoanalysis, because they don't know themselves. Somebody can be incredibly arrogant, for example, and always talk about how brilliant they are. But that's often because they actually hate themselves. Now, they don't even know it themselves. Or on Facebook, someone keeps posting pictures of them in a happy relationship. Every day they post pictures of them in a happy relationship. That's obvious that they're very sad and their relationship's terrible. <laughs> because they're, they're, they're hiding it from, not from you who's looking at the pictures. They're hiding it from themselves. This is called reaction formation, by the way. Um, I talked to somebody last week who told me in the bar, I used to want to be a writer, but now I don't want to do that. I'm just happy to work in the bar, which is fine. But then he told me this seven times in half an hour. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I think you don't know what you believe. And so a lot of my work, and I follow Kierkegaard and the very ancient Christian tradition, which is to say Christianity is not about affirming some conscious beliefs, taking the right answers in a multiple choice so you can get to heaven. Christianity is a way where you confront your beliefs, you confront your suffering, you confront your truth, and you wrestle with that. And and in doing that, you find that that truth sets you free. So I'm not about the what of belief. I'm about how do your beliefs function? You know, and I believe actually that that's what Christianity is about. In fact, if you read the Bible, it's very hard to construct any belief system out of it because there's so many belief systems in it <laughs> ouch <sighs> that moment was brought to you by writer's tears look it up <laughs> pyrotheology uh, let's say uh, that i'm a hockey player and i've taken a few pucks to the head uh, and i'm not quite sure what you're on about can you yes. dumb down pyrotheology for me please Absolutely. Well, in a nutshell, parotheology is about the freedom from the tyranny of happiness and freedom from the tyranny of knowledge, freedom from the tyranny of satisfaction. Right now, can I just very briefly explain the Oedipus complex? I'll do it in 30 seconds, I promise. Certainly. But it's key to understand parotheology. So everyone will know this. The Oedipal complex is a guy wants to sleep with his mum. His dad gets in the way. He kills his dad and sleeps with his mum, and he thinks this is going to be brilliant, but it's a disaster, right? Now, now, now this mean? this complex is is kind of kind of a big thing down in Alabama, from what I hear. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it's central to psychoanalysis, interesting. You go like, why is it? Well, symbolically, the mother is the symbol of returning to wholeness, returning to completeness. The father is the symbol of that which stops you from getting what you want, from getting wholeness and completeness. And the fact that you think it's a blessing when you get what you want, but it's really a curse, is the idea that when you finally get everything that you want, it actually is a disaster. Now, I argue that the story of Adam and Eve is an eatable story. It's a Jewish eatable story. There's Adam and Eve and they want this apple and they, they think that if they eat this apple, everything will be wonderful. And there's even the serpent that says, if you eat this apple, you will be like God, which means you will lack the lack. To be like God is to be whole and complete. Now, in psychoanalysis, that voice is called the superego, and in theology, it's called the serpent. It's the voice that tells you that you have to do X, Y, and Z to be happy, whole, and complete. And we think that that voice is the voice that we need to obey. But in psychoanalysis, that's the voice you have to kill. And in theology, that's the voice that you have to exorcise. So this is why I think most churches are satanic. Because most churches are offering wholeness and completeness if you pray enough, mm. if you do this, if you do that. So most churches are, theologically speaking, uh, Satanist. Um, the, the rule, what grace is, grace is the opposite. Grace is the moment that says you don't have to do anything. You have to simply learn to embrace your lack and your anxiety and your suffering. Learn to bear it. But in doing that, you find freedom from it. And that's the message of parotheology. It's the exorcism of the, of the devil, or it's the, the um, in psychoanalytic terms, it's getting rid of the superego that's saying, do this, do that, do the other, and then you'll be happy. Do you have to go? Because I don't want you to go. Can you hang on a second? Who, me? Yeah. Yeah. You sound, Absolutely. You sound surprised that I'm asking you to stay on the line longer. I am, yeah, that's great. You, I'll just double my fee. What's, what's double zero? Exactly. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. I want to talk about my ego-shattering adventures walking a thousand kilometers on the Camino de Santiago and spending three months in a vow of silence. Because yeah. I did that so that, that I was could... A gift. That was a gift for everybody, by the way. That was a <laughs> gift for the world. Preach, brother, I preach. hate you. So, <laughs> what a rat bag. One of the reasons I did that was to sniff out my ego agenda. Because I had numerous fractured relationships in my life, and I realized that I was the common denominator. And I've been mm -hmm. back for three months now. And what I've discovered is that the... The darkness that I chased, uh, that I hunted down and tried to do something with is back. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and this, this battle between light and dark within me is, is, is re-raging. Yes, yes. And it's, it's, I'm, at a, I'm actually at a point where I'm wondering if I'm going to break down at, at any moment. For example... The other day, my dog went off as nut, and uh, which is Australian for went crazy, and um, and and went psycho barking at the front door. And I came around behind him and gave him a little kick in the bum. Now people was like, "Oh, you kicked your dog! You kicked..." No, I'm not an animal. This is the the critter in my life I love the most. I didn't violently kick my dog, but I kicked him in such a way that it hurt his tail, and he yelped and yelped and yelped and cried and cried and cried, and, cried and I felt immediately overwhelmed with emotion and stress and I was flushed and because I just in my mind this is my commentary dude you just screwed up another relationship what kind of an idiot are you 
Mm-hmm. So now I'm, you're my little psychotherapist. You're my oh, you're my little psychotherapist. You're my little <laughs> you're my little pot of gold. Um, yeah, I'm starting to lose my mind three months after having done this because I've just been revealed a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't really I wasn't aware of before, dude. Yeah, ignorance is way more bliss. <laughs> well, okay. Can I? Uh, yeah, this is this is this is a great topic. Um, I just very quickly want to mention two concepts, and then we'll we'll come back to this. The first concept is called the pleasure principle, and Freud says this is where you know we just want stuff. I want to eat chocolate every day. I want to climb trees. I want to win all the games that I play. Say you're a kid, and those are your desires. That's the pleasure principle. You want the things that bring you pleasure, and then there's the reality principle. And the reality principle is the stuff that stops you. Your parents won't let you eat chocolate every day. Your body won't let you climb trees and your friends won't let you win every game that you want to play, right? Now, we think that getting rid of the reality principle and just getting pleasure, then we'll be happy. But actually, the reality principle is what to get any pleasure at all. You know, if you could just immediately get to the top of Mount Everest, it's not the same pleasure as the reality principle. That means you have to train, you have to buy equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the reason why I explain that is because in life, there are two types of dominant religion. There are religions of the pleasure principle, and they say you can get rid of your anxiety and your struggle and your inner tensions by getting what you want. That's the secular religion of the secret. It's the sacred religion of prosperity gospel. But then there is religions of the there are religions of the reality principle, and they are religions of nihilism that say withdraw yourself from the world, uh, withdraw yourself from the frenetic pursuit of objects. Right. Now, my argument is that neither of these work. And what we actually need is a ritual of the absurd. And the absurd means living in the tension and in the battles that we experience. And so what you're feeling in your life, I would argue that people will say that you can get rid of that. But the real challenge is to learn how to enjoy it. Now, it's very difficult. But it's turning your frustrations and your dissatisfactions into a fuel that that motivates you, that helps you create beautiful art. And it already, to be honest, helps you be a great radio host, you know, and you you take this suffering and you make it into something beautiful. Hmm. That is that that's the core message of power of theology. It's very difficult to do. But I think what you had that your experience was starting to wrestle with your demons, starting to wrestle with your suffering. And the real challenge is how do you find a way to bear that weight and even enjoy it. Well, okay, so now we're into the discussion of, you know, the uh, and I wrote about this, uh, the uh, the old Native American uh, proverb or whatever, where the young uh, Indian kid, I don't know what the terms are, so I'm just going to say what I grew up with. The young Indian kid says to the chief, hey, why is that guy so bad? Why does he do bad stuff? And the chief basically says, well, inside each of us is a, is a light wolf and a dark wolf, and uh, it depends which wolf you feed, um, mm-hmm. uh, and that determines how you're going to act. So this guy has obviously been feeding the dark wolf, blah, 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 blah. And so I've been yeah, on this yeah. battle of – do I, I – here's my question. I'm rattling on so much here. Do I kill the dark wolf, or do I train the dark wolf, or do I pet the dark wolf? Yeah. 
Well, and I don't know if this will fit with that analogy. Let's see if it does, because I like that analogy. My, my analogy comes from uh, the French writer Camus. Camus uh, gave three figures. Uh, the first was a conservative figure. And the conservative person is the one who tries to get rid of that antagonism in life and those stresses and those anxieties by by basically just accepting the world as it is. You know, let's not <clears throat> try and create a new world. Let's not try and do something that will fix everything. Let's just, you know, switch off. Then there's the revolutionary. And the revolutionary says, I can I can get rid of my anxieties and my suffering by dreaming of a new world, a new relationship, a new society. But the problem is, if they don't get that, they're unhappy. And if they ever get that new world, it doesn't turn out to work. But then Camus says there's a third figure. And the third figure he calls the rebel. The rebel is one who looks like the revolutionary. They're always changing and adapting and trying to, you know, kind of work things out. But they never think there's an end to the struggle. They never think there's a utopia that in three or four years they'll be able to sit back and, and have peace. What the rebel does is they go, we have these two wolves within us. We have these conflicts within us. And actually, we can enjoy that and we can turn that to great music, to great writing, to great relationships. We can, we can somehow harness that tension and make something good out of it. So that's, that's what I think the challenge of being human is about. I don't know if I want to hang out with you or I don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> well, yeah. if you're buying the, the whiskey, <laughs> I want to hang out with you. Well, yeah. by the way, the reason why I'm saying this, you've heard me say this before, but people say, Pete, your stuff sounds very depressing. No, it's it sounds beautiful. like you're trying, you know, well, no, but I say to people, I'm not trying to make you depressed. I promise. I'm telling you that you already are depressed. You just don't know it. Right. We <laughs> live in a world of where, where people are so depressed, they have to party all the time yeah. because they can't stand to be alone for five minutes. Yep. They, they're they so depressed, they go to party all the time. They drink all the time, right? My analogy, and you, you probably know this, is when you suffer, you can either go to a sports bar and go get drunk, listen to pop music and have you know really shallow conversations because you can't hear anybody, right? <laughs> or Or you can go to an Irish pub and you can have a drink and you can talk about your troubles. Yeah. And there's some sad guy in the corner singing about how his one true beloved died of consumption and he'll never love again, <laughs> right? And then you have real conversations. Yeah. Now, you have the same liturgical technologies in both bars. You have alcohol, you have music, and you have conversation. But in one, it's all designed to help you run from your suffering. And in the other, it's designed to help you wrestle with it and find it and i'll tell you what at two o'clock in the morning where would you rather be exactly. a sports bar where it smells of vomit and, and urine and that's just me right or would <laughs> you rather be in an irish pub where at two o'clock in the morning You're they're singing. singing and they're dancing together yeah, yeah. because they've had a night of talking about their stuff yeah well said very very well said okay let's finish with this i don't think you're irish uh if you answer correctly two out of three trivia questions uh, we will call you irish are you ready well, by the way i I was, on a, I was on a podcast the other day and I gave that analogy of the sports bar and the Irish bar and the guy said, that's the most Irish analogy I've ever heard because you basically got the choice of drinking or drinking. Or drinking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so give me the trivia. All Good right, one. here we go. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, is Peter Rollins Irish or not? Question number one. What are the names of the members of the Irish rock band U2? 
Okay, that's easy. Well, unless you want the real names. No, just the stage names. Yeah, so Bono, The Edge, and then, oh, there's uh, oh, so Bono, The Edge, Clayton, uh, uh, and oh my goodness, I can't remember the last guy. Rhymes with Harry Cullen. so embarrassing. You know what? I'm secretly looking it up online. Quick band member names. Quick, quick, quick. Rhymes with Harry okay, Cohen. I feel I got three, didn't I? Yeah, close enough, I guess, sort of. Which you know, one? Close enough, right. Larry Mullen Jr. Mullen. Larry Mullen Jr. Yeah. Oh. All right, yeah. second question. Second question. Uh, what is the alternative title of the song Danny Boy? Oh, this is... T- I'm from Northern Ireland, by the way. Well, then you should like, know this. Irish. You should know this. No, but we're not very Irish up north. Oh, stop um, I have no idea. What What is the alternative? Londonderry Air. Oh, you know what? That rings a bell. Oh, yeah. Of course you, it you does do now. You do not want me in your pub team. That's all I'm oh, saying. Goodness. I, I, I am the worst... I'm the worst player at pub quizzes. Well, um, have you ever been to London Stroke Derry? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I always find it a depressing city because it only went up during the Troubles and it was a pretty crazy place, but I've heard it's incredible now. In fact, it won City of Culture in, I, I don't know if it was a European right. award, but it was uh, definitely a UK-wide award. Yeah. So. All right, here's, here's, uh, here's an easy one. What type of meat goes into a traditional Irish stew? Uh, lamb. Thank you. Or, or mutton chops. Yes, well done. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, oh yeah, I had stew today actually in Belfast. Very, very tasty. What is the? Um, here's the. Is this the last question, or we have two more? Oh, this is actually. Mm, I don't know if you'll get this or not. In early television commercials for Irish Spring soap, a woman expresses her approval of the product by saying what phrase? Um, if you get this, you get the whole thing. Oh, oh I would. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I win a prize. No, but you get you, you just. It's an ego thing. You triple your pay. Yeah. Uh, your skin will thank you. <laughs> Tim, do you know what it is? I like it too. No, no, not no? even. No, it's oh. close. It's close. Manly, yes, but I, I like it too. too. So I got half of it right. All right. Oh, that's good. All right, here you go. Here's your final question. And if you get this one right, uh, you still lose. I'm um, so embarrassed. I've got one out of four. You're a right shocker. You should be on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and totally flub that. What Irish singer tore up a picture of the Pope on live television? There we go. Beautiful. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we had a great interview with her. Uh, I think it was four years ago. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I, th- I knew you'd interviewed her. Yeah, that's right. Nice. Right, so you've, you, things have things have gone downhill, obviously. Yeah, we've gone we've gone from Sinead O'Connor to to Peter Rollins. Beautiful. At least, yeah, at least wow. he doesn't swear. Oh dear. Yeah, at least you don't Only- swear. Well, not on the air anyway. So, Peter, I uh, I am just a creepy fan of you, and if I had more money, I would I would uh, travel with you and be your minion and your roadie and your and your young Padawan. Drew, the first time we met, you stood up during a talk of mine in really? a pub and you swore at me <laughs> in a crowded room. You shouted at me and you swore at me. Do you remember this? Nope. I've gone to therapy since then. I have no yes. idea what you're talking about. This is the truth. And then I, w- I went over. I was like, who is this guy? You know, and then we became friends and it was wonderful. Uh, but yeah, that was the first time yeah. we met. Here, Okay. Speaking of that, let's finish with this trivia question. The, what sound is this? This is inside of a can of drink. What sound is this? That's the widget. Yeah! Yeah!
Of nice. course I knew that. <laughs> well done, buddy. Well done. Oh, that was brilliant. Peter, thank you so, so much for being just a delightful human being and being a guest on our St. Patrick's Day show. Oh, now I love now we're going to chat with a guy named John McCauley, who was a, a copper up in... Uh, in Belfast for a while, but he's the director of uh, Muskoka Woods. Peter, thanks, mate. Good to chat with you. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. PeterRollins.com is the website. He is a brain freeze. You know what I mean? When you drink that, when you eat ice cream too much. Yes, and your brain goes, ouch. Uh, I don't know what to do. Ouch. Anyway, a short break, commercial break, and when we come back, John McCauley. Yes, another Irishman.